ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to invite you to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Um, again, that's ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet us at sfdiocese and use the hashtag ignition again if you're on twitter if you use twitter you can reach us at sf diocese and use the hashtag ignition to get your tweets to the right twits um no uh if you have no idea what i'm talking about that's just twitter speak so um what I'm going to do today is a little bit different. Uh, I don't have a guest co-host. Uh, longtime listeners of Ignition know that we are, um, we've been circling through some guest co-hosts over the last couple months, um, and I'll be doing that again uh, coming up. But this, today what I want to do is, is um, uh, just talk a little bit about a topic that's in the news lately, especially this fall, uh, and, and that I have some own personal interest in, and that is the Reformation. Uh, I want to offer a presentation, a uh, brief presentation today on this episode of Ignition on the Reformation, especially and, and the Catholic perspective on the Reformation. Uh, and we're going to be focusing especially on Martin Luther himself and the very early years, the beginning of the Reformation. This is obviously a huge topic. Um, the Reformation uh, as a whole is a huge topic that we could spend multiple episodes um, unpacking. Um, I've taught um, church history courses before modern church history courses and spent uh, multiple uh, class periods, uh, you know, full hour, hour and a half sessions talking about the Reformation. So uh, you could easily do uh, an entire semester on the Reformation or more. Of course, books and books, volumes have been written on the Protestant Reformation from all sorts of perspectives, including the Catholic perspective. But what I want to do today is just sort of uh, narrowly look at what prompted the Reformation, some of the background to the Reformation, uh, the prehistory, if you if you will, and then their early stages of the Reformation, and just sort of conclude by giving um, a Catholic perspective. Um, when we think about the Reformation, especially the early years, uh, how can we look at it? Because in some ways, I think it'd be surprising. Uh, th- there's a lot that we might that, that we would agree with Martin Luther about, especially uh, Luther um, at the beginning of the Reformation. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit, just to, to again, give a Catholic, what's the Catholic perspective on the Reformation? Uh, so, so give thoughts along that. Before we get into today, into that topic, though, today, um, for those of you who have never listened to Ignition, my name is Chris Bergwald, uh, as I already mentioned. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, been married to Jermaine for, uh, let's see, what year is it? 18 and a half years, and we have five kids, and we make our home here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So, um, looking at the Reformation then as, as the topic for today, uh, I think it's important to, to look at what led up to the Reformation. No historical event, uh, major historical event, which the Reformation certainly is, appears out of nowhere. Um, 
there's always some preparation for, if you will, uh, prehistory leading up to it that, that prompted whatever it was. And, and certainly that was, that was the case with the Reformation itself. The centuries before um, the, 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 before 1517, um, we see all sorts of things going on in throughout Christianity, but especially in Europe that, that led up to Martin Luther's, uh, break with the Catholic church. So the reason, um, we're selling what we're quote unquote celebrating, really commemorating because we, we don't celebrate the division, um, divisions among Christians, uh, but we commemorate the reformation. We recognize it's, it's, uh, it, we recognize it as a momentous event in the life of the church. Uh, 1517, 500 years ago, on Halloween, October 1st, uh, Martin Luther uh, is believed to have posted his 95 theses um, on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, um, the All, Soul, All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, and, and, and to be clear, I think it's just to, to get into this before we look back to the prehistory, the event itself that that was commemorated uh, this this year, the 500th anniversary of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses, it wasn't the defiant act that that many Catholics think, well, many people, frankly, think it was. At that point, Luther was just uh, inviting a debate. Um, he was asking for a debate about uh, some points of theology um, that that he thought needed to be discussed. So it was really. Uh, him um, by posting these theses, it was it was an invitation to an ac- academic debate. It wasn't um, a, a revolt. It wasn't this defiant act. Sort of, I think my I think my imagination and the imagination of, of many of us we 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 picture Luther with this hammer just pounding these the, the, the theses into the church onto the church door. That wasn't the case at all at this point. Luther really was was again um, inviting. Uh, other theologians into uh, a theological debate, a dialogue about these 95 theses. He even mailed it to his bishop um, just to make him aware of what he was doing. So again, at this point, Luther wasn't making this defiant defiant break from the Catholic Church. That would come later, but it didn't happen 500 years ago on Halloween. So, But to back up before then, um, what was it? that sort of prepared the soil for the Reformation? What was it that was happening throughout Christianity that allowed the Reformation to happen? Uh, I think there's a few things to keep in mind. I just want to touch on briefly. First of all, um, the, the some of the historical context, there had been just in uh, a couple centuries before Luther's time, um, the Great Western Schism, the Great Western Schism, where um, you had popes who had been living in Avignon, France, and that was, that was an issue of itself, uh, returning to Rome, but then other men elected as alleged popes. So there's, there was this division where there was real uh, confusion about who the leadership in the church was, um, which man claiming to be pope was the real pope. There was, there was a lot of confusion uh, throughout Europe about who, who was the real pope and so on. And that sort of... Um, uh, brought down in people's eyes or minds, um, subconsciously at least, if not consciously, uh, it brought down the, the the role of the pope or the authority of the pope. It, it really um, uh, impacted how people viewed the bishop of Rome, uh, the Holy Father, and his authority in the church. Uh, and there, there, there. 
began to be this idea spread um, throughout the church that, you know, maybe a council, a gathering of, of the bishops of the church, an ecumenical council, has more authority than the Pope. That was an idea that became popular uh, in that era. And so leading up to Luther's time then, um, with this particular strand, the idea that the Pope is not the ultimate authority, but maybe a, a council is, was an idea um, that was out there. Uh, another thing that, that was happening um, throughout Europe at the time, uh, certainly there was corruption uh, within the within the church, uh, moral um, corruption among the leaders, the clergy in the church, including the popes, uh, where they, they're focused not so much on the needed reform within the church, uh, but more on superficialities. So you had popes who were very intelligent, and many of them even uh, pious men, um, but they weren't shepherding the church as they ought to have been. They weren't leading the church in reform. Um, just to give you an example, Pope Leo the Fifteenth was elected, uh, what was rather Pope in fifteen seventeen. Um, that's the year that uh, that Luther posted the ninety five theses. That year, one of the church councils, the Fourth Lateran Council, had ended, uh, and Leo the Tenth um, t- took no interest, showed no interest in executing the degree decrees of reform that the Fourth Lateran Council called for. So the church recognized the leaders of the church, the bishops recognized, okay, there's corruption among our clergy. We need to do something about this. Uh, but the popes, even even the men who were themselves moral, um, intelligent, again, pious themselves, weren't really uh, taking up that mantle of reform uh, that was needed. The fact of the matter is that the other, I guess, the other aspect to keep in mind about the papacy at this point uh, is that the pope was a temporal ruler. So, uh, Part of what is now modern Italy used to be under the the rule, the the, the civil rule of the Bishop of Rome, of the Pope. Uh, and that also impacted how view, people viewed the Pope, because now the Pope is sort of like in our country, we think of the president as leader, the leader of a country, of course. Well, the Pope was the leader of a country. So it was a little bit hard then for, say, a French Catholic or a German Catholic to look at the Bishop of Rome purely as this as a spiritual leader because they were also a temporal ruler. He was also the leader of a country, of a nation, uh, the Papal States in that case. Um, and that, again, that would impact how people saw the 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 um, the, the Pope, how they viewed him. Um, to become the Pope then was to was really a trophy for whatever Italian family uh, had one of their sons be elected Pope. So again, Leo X as an example, when he was elected Pope, he said, since God has given us, that is his family, the Medicis of Florence, since God has given us the papacy, let us use it to our advantage. Let us use it, the papacy, to our advantage. So that this points at, at some of the, the, the challenges that were facing uh, the church in terms of how the papacy was viewed. Um, other aspects, though, the clergy, certainly the, their own moral, um, their own morality, many priests, many bishops um, weren't uh, living the way they should have. But the, big, the bigger problem really was that it was tolerated. So you would have, and maybe not a ton of priests or bishops uh, misbehaving, if you will, in, in various ways. The, the bigger problem though, is it was tolerated, right? So how, how do people take their priests, their, their, their bishops seriously when they're acting immorally 
and and it's allowed to continue when the authorities above them within the church. So when a priest's bishop, or when uh, the the pope, um, when when a bishop is is misbehaving, the pope allows that to 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 uh, go on. What do we do then when 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 our authorities in the church are not? Uh, Cracking down on the reform that's necessary, um, cracking down on the abuses that are going on. That was part of the problem. So uh, these there are other, other aspects of well, but this all leads up to a time um, where you have Martin Luther coming to the scene and this corruption in the church that's being tolerated. And then theologically as well. So it's not just moral corruption, but theological corruption as well, uh, where you have bad theology that's being promulgated that's popular. So... I think it's important to remember that we have the church's teaching, which Jesus has promised, has guaranteed, will always remain true. Um, The church's teaching is Jesus' teaching. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and not the brilliance or even not the holiness of the church's leaders, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus' teaching remains true within the Catholic Church, remains present within the Catholic Church. The reality, though, is that oftentimes, um, well, always in some, to some degree within the church, you've got what the church formally teaches, and then at the ground level, if you will, you've got the popular understanding or the popular presentation of that teaching. So it might be a mis- presentation, a misrepresentation of what the church teaches. And that's what we had happening um, at, at the time of Martin Luther, um, where, where you had uh, for a couple centuries, uh, really false understandings of what the church really te- really taught being presented as church teaching. Uh, there's a, a German 20th century German uh, Jesuit who was a Luther scholar, uh, Father Joseph Lortz. So Father Lortz had studied, uh, like actually many Catholic uh, theologians, scholars, many of them, most of them priests actually, in the 20th century. Father Lortz had studied Luther's writings closely, studied the Reformation, and Father Lortz uh, famously said that the Catholicism that Luther rejected was not authentic Catholicism. The Catholicism that Luther rejected was not authentic Catholicism. So the the theology that Luther himself was formed in, the theology that Luther was taught, uh, was was decadent, was erroneous. Not completely, but there were certain false ideas um, that he recognized, he intuited were false, and that he was therefore right to reject. So a very popular idea in the popular culture um, within the church at the time, uh, so a very popular idea really throughout Europe, was the idea... Um, that you had to earn God's love, um, that you had to work for God's love, uh, that, that, that we have to do good works in order for God to love us. Luther certainly uh, be- had believed that himself, uh, but, th- but that was not uh, rare for somebody to believe. Luther was like others um, in, in that he believe- had this idea that you had to earn God's love. And that just wasn't the case. Um, the, the church had long ago condemned the idea that you have to earn God's love or that you can earn I mean, that the initial act of salvation, of justification, where we, whereby we are made righteous in God's sight, where we, whereby we become his sons and daughters. There's nothing we can do to earn that. It's a pure gift that's given to us. And the church had taught that centuries before Luther came on the scene. And yet the popular idea on the ground when he um, is 
beginning to teach as an Augustinian monk himself in the 15 teens, um, the popular idea in, in, in the church was that you had to do good works so that God might love you and give you that offer of salvation. Uh, so that those are some of the things that were leading up to the time of Luther himself, leading up to 1517, again, which is sort of recognized as the, the, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, just take a pause here where you're listening to Ignition, a radio show and broadcast for the new evangelization. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we're talking today about the Protestant Reformation, looking at what led up to it and at the early at the early years of the Reformation, especially with Martin Luther. If you got if you've got questions about today's episode, please feel free to email me, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet us at sfdiocese and use the hashtag ignition. So we're just looking there at sort of the prehistory, uh, some of the elements of what was going on in the church leading up to the time of, of Martin Luther himself. Sort of like the water was cresting at the dam. Um, with the arrival of Martin Luther himself, the dam would break, uh, ultimately. So Luther, as many of us know, was uh, a German, who became an Augustinian monk um, and was ordained a priest um, 10 years before the Reformation, 1507. Um, he, he would be ordained as a priest. Uh, his first mass, actually, um, according to, to the, the historical record that we have, he almost ran away because he was afraid of offering the mass. Again, this idea of God as a stern taskmaster was very much part of, of Luther's formation. Um, so he's ordained a priest, he, he studies theology, uh, read a lot, especially scripture, um, again, being formed in um, a particular form of, of theology that, that was not authentically Catholic, we, we recognize now. And he's teaching, teaching more on scripture, um, teaching more on, on how we are made righteous in God's sight and so on. And he's looking around and especially looking at the, the, the practice of indulgences, excuse me, and how indulgences were being abused at the time, how indulgences were, were literally being sold. Again, that was part of the corruption of the time. Bishops would commission the sale of indulgences because they had debts to pay themselves. Um, so St. Peter's, the St. Peter's that we know of today in Rome, the, that magnificent, beautiful basilica, uh, was being built uh, at this time. And there was an indulgence. People could contribute to the building. They could participate in the building of of the, uh, the, the, the new church of St. Peter's. It was new at the time. Um by offering a charitable contribution, and there was an indulgence that would go with that. And and in another episode of Ignition, we can sort of explain the theology of indulgences. But that was the, what was going on. But again, there were bishops who were abusing that and and, and encouraging people, um, priests, preachers, to go out and sell indulgences and make so, all sorts of, frankly, false promises about what indulgences offer Um teaching falsely about what indulgences are because those bishops want needed wanted or needed that money to pay off their debts. So that's going on. Uh, Luther, again, he's studying scripture. He has this idea of God as a stern judge. Um, you have to earn his love. You have to earn his mercy. Um, and, and he realizes that this is not what he's reading in scripture. Uh, this is not what he's he's finding as he's reading um, Psalms, Romans, Galatians, other books of the Bible. So this leads him to, in 1517, as I said earlier, to post his 95 theses for debate uh, and, and, and 
an academic debate and talk about this with other scholars. Now, we not only know today, but even at the time, there's a recognition that most of, of Luther's positions in the 95 Theses were completely orthodox. They were completely uh, in alignment with authentic Catholic teaching. The problem was that it was challenging the way that indulgences were being abused. And so there were bishops in the church who saw Luther's uh, invitation to debate as a threat to their financial well-being. Um, and this creates a ripple effect throughout the church uh, where there's there's a view that we have to, we have to stop this. We have to shut down this whole line of thinking because our livelihood, our financial well-being uh, depends on it. Of course, that's, I want to be clear. That's a bad thing. Uh, we, we don't want, we never have wanted um, these sorts of practices to be going on, but that's what was happening at the church at the time. So 1517, Luther posts his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. Um, and, and he invite, has this, this, this invitation to debate. Um, and immediately there's, there's some concern on the part of, of some church authorities, like the local archbishop, the archbishop of Mainz, uh, who needs the indulgences to pay his debts. So he sends this up the chain of command. Again, there's a recognition that in part, um, these theses are, are completely orthodox, completely in alignment with, with church teaching. But there's still some things. That, so in, there's an invitation to debate. And so over the next couple of years, Luther would be engaged in debates um, with various Catholic figures. Uh, the problem, though, was that at least in many of those instances, the debates were more, they weren't necessarily about seeking truth together, but they became focused on winning the argument. So you, you have situations where Luther's um, debating, uh, Johannes Eck uh, was, was one uh, well-known Catholic debater at the time. Um, so Eck, uh, in, in a debate with Luther a couple years later in 1519, um, really is, is, is not so much trying to um, necessarily convince Luther or, or necessarily trying to find the, the, the truth together with him, but he's trying to win the argument against Luther. And so he basically backs Luther in the, in the course of the argument, backs Luther into a corner, if you will, by saying um, that by, by, by pushing him on the whole idea of authority in the church. Um, so Eck rightly comes to see that some of Luther's teachings are starting to, to challenge church authority, tradition, um, the, the, the ability of, of bishops and especially the Pope to teach authoritatively within the church. And so um, Eck sort of corners in the course of the debate Luther, and Luther uh, says, ends up saying that, that ecumenical councils can and have in fact erred in teaching. And this is where he begins now to articulate his idea of scripture alone as the, the authority within the church, that bishops, popes, uh, tradition has no authority. It's scripture alone that has authority. This is where now things really start to, to, to break down. Um, this is the point at which uh, the, the split becomes no longer sort of an academic debate, but it's a widening into a greater fissure within the life of the church. Um, it's after 
this, uh, shortly after this, that Luther says, the die is cast, I can no longer wish for reconciliation with Rome. So before leading up to that, um, so uh, just earlier that year, 1519, he had said, before God and man, I have never wished to attack either the Roman church or your holiness. This is his writing to the Pope. And today I have even less intention of doing so. But later that year, Again, he says, the die is cast. I no longer wish for reconciliation with Rome. So the following year, 1520, um, he, uh, the, the Pope issues a bull of excommunication. And early in 1521, Martin Luther as excommunicated. Luther takes that bull of excommunication, famously burns it, says, and says, now I know that the Pope is the Antichrist. The irony, though, um, sadly, is he had just written a letter stating, my heart has not turned against your holiness. So, just as we come to an end of this episode, um, th- there really is a tragedy uh, here in the Reformation, because Luther, especially at the beginning, in the in the fifteen teens, the early you know twelve through seventeen, when he's he's studying Scripture, he's starting to teach what he's finding. Again, many ways he was completely right that that we don't need to earn God's love or His mercy. That, that God loves us and that he offers us mercy exactly where we are. But he does invite us further on. Um, we are called to repent of our sins. We are called to love God and love neighbor. We are called to do acts of love. But, but that's not earning our initial justification um, whereby we are made righteous before God. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing here is that Luther was right, but in the course of these debates, he becomes frankly more and more stubborn and more and more convinced that he is right in the way he's articulating it. And he's, I would say he's pushed into a more extreme position uh, because of the debates that, that he's having uh, with representatives of the church. So we get to the point then where he is, he's holding more um, stronger and stronger views apart from how we're made righteous before God. That's justification. Now he's taking views that, that the, the Pope has no authority, uh, definitive authority to teach, um, that, that tradition doesn't mean anything. And it's after that, after 1521, that things really start to go bad. And, and you, you see other additional Protestant reformers come on the scene. Uh, you see more divisions take place within the church. Uh, today, by some counts, there are 30,000 uh, Protestant traditions uh, throughout the world. Um, some challenge that, but certainly there are at least thousands of different uh, Protestant traditions around the world. And in many ways, it goes back to the Reformation and this idea of Scripture alone. Um, and, and, and not going to get into all of that here, especially in the time we have left. But the divisions that happened after 1521, unfortunately, um, could have been avoided had there been more charity on the part of the church and more openness, I think, on Luther's part as those debates unfolded. Uh, And more of a recognition, frankly, that in some ways Martin Luther was right. So that just gives a little bit, I think, of a a Catholic perspective on the early years of the Reformation, what led up to the Reformation. I think it's just, what does that mean for us today? I think it's really important for us to to look at the Reformation in an honest way and what was going on in the church in an honest way, acknowledging the the faults that were there theologically and morally among church leaders, um, but then also acknowledge that God is still present and leading his church in the fullness of truth. 
So that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us with any questions that you have about today's episode. If you've got ideas for future episodes, the email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.